Today, I'm going to introduce a text in my title later in my message. So I would like to begin ministering the word of God today. And if you'll join me in God's word. Amen. I thank God for the power of the unity that is in the church. The church is the most powerful force in the world and nothing can stop the church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Bible teaches that the church is a body with many members, the body of Christ and members in particular. Jesus said in Matthew 18, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them by my Father, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus promised to meet us when we meet together in the body of Christ. We learned in the Old Testament that one can put a thousand to flight, but there is an exponential power in two that two can put 10,000 to flight. When Jesus gathered his disciples, he chose 12 men to gather close to him upon this rock. He would build his church and on 12 ordinary men. He sent the disciples out two by two. He chose a group of 70 leaders through which he ministered to multitudes. In the New Testament church, the Bible tells us that all those that believed were together and they had all things common. In Acts chapter 4, the Bible said that the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, and so much so that they took care of one another's needs in that early church. In that same chapter, Acts chapter 4, the Bible said when the church came under threat, that they lifted up their voice in one accord. What a power that God brings to us when we worship God together and we pray together in one voice with a unified effort, calling on the name of Jesus. We're blessed in our local church and God's church around the world is blessed by a symphony of ministry that takes place in the body of Christ. On August the 6th, 2017, I spoke on this topic, a symphony of ministry, that we are better together. Solomon wisely taught that two are better than one. In every occasion in life, it's better to go to war together, to work together. And Solomon concluded by saying that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You see, we're wired for friendship and fellowship and nothing should ever take that away. The New Testament contains many one another passages that we are to do for one another what we wish others would do for us. We are to love one another. We are to prefer one another in honor. We are to receive one another as Jesus Christ received us. We are to admonish, admonish one another. We're to greet one another. We are to serve one another. 
We are to put up with one another. The King James word is to forbear one another in meekness. It is important that we forgive one another and that we comfort one another. We should edify one another. That means to build each other up. We should be considerate of one another. You see, we are the body of Christ and we are dependent on one another. And that is one important aspect of the church. But today I want to focus on another side of this coin, on another dimension of the church. That while we are one body, we are also members in particular. The function of the body of Christ is dependent on the health of its members. If the members of the body are diseased, the entire body suffers. Think of the human body and how the health of the whole is dependent on the health of the parts. Symptoms of unhealthy members show up in the entire body. So it should not surprise us when from time to time the Lord does a checkup, not on the whole body, but on the members of the body of Christ. There are times when the focus is on you and your relationship with God, and Jesus hones in on our personal walk with Him, not how the whole body is doing, but how are the members doing. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should ever endeavor to do church alone. Church is not a solo performance. However, your eternal salvation rises or falls on how your personal walk with God is doing right now and in the future. And I've wondered if maybe the criticisms at some level at the body of Christ is just a mechanism of deflection away from personal challenges that any critic might have. You see, it's a lot harder to look at your own flaws in the mirror than it is to hold the magnifying glass up to the flaws of others and to scrutinize other people. But back to my real message. In the book of Galatians, the Bible tells us in Galatians 6 and 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But then as this passage progresses in Galatians 6 and 5, the Apostle Paul, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, wrote, For every man shall bear his own burden. Now there's no contradiction in this passage. In verse 2, the word burden is different from the word in verse 5 in the original Greek. In verse 2, when we are to carry one another's burdens... It speaks of a very heavy burden that is too heavy for a person to carry alone. But in verse 5, when Paul speaks of every man bearing his own burden, he's speaking of personal, reasonable burdens that should be borne by the individual. You see, in life, there are times when we carry other people in the body of Christ. There are times when the body of Christ has carried us, and my wife and I have experienced this 
several times in our life when we needed others to carry burdens that were too heavy for us. But my message to you today is that you and I are responsible to bear our own burdens and we should not shift the responsibility for bearing burdens that are our burdens on the body of Christ. We are to be accountable to the Lord for our personal walk with Him. The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. This is the beam of the judgment seat of Christ for believers where our works will be judged. And we will all stand there based on the merit of the productivity of our lives. We will be there alone. The Bible speaks about the time when Jesus called these workers into account, the five-talent man, the two-talent man, and the one-talent man. To the man who had doubled his talents from five to ten, to the man who had doubled his talents from two to four, the Bible said that the Lord will say to that person in Matthew 27, 25, his Lord said unto him, well done, Thou good and faithful servant, thou, you have been faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I want you to see the importance of taking personal responsibility for your walk with God. For in that day, our walk and our work will be put under scrutiny as we are called into account for our own life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 8 says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. We're in this together. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. In Romans chapter 14 verse 12, the apostle Paul said, So every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. There is a statement that Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount as he was bringing this message to a close. He was speaking about the importance of not just being a hearer of the word of God, but also being a doer of the word. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This sends shudders up my spine when I think about a day that maybe people would be gathered there 
And they were leaning on what the body of Christ had done while they themselves had been immobile, unspiritual, and tried to blend into the corporate crowd of the church. No wonder the Apostle Paul would pin these words in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is important that while we love and cherish, while we value the corporate body of Christ, each of us must take time in our lives to make sure that we are in a right relationship with God. There are times, perhaps times like those we are in right now, when there are no people and there are no programs to prop us up. In times like these, we learn to stand alone when we are separated from the strength of the body of Christ. We are forced for a season to become a church of one. Characters in your Bible, in both Old and New Testament, knew what it was like to serve God solo, alone. Job was questioned by his dear friends about where he stood with God. And Job's own wife told him to curse God and die. Job faced the trial of his life alone. Abraham walked this kind of lonely faith when he walked away from family and friends into the great adventure of the call of God. Jacob wrestled with his destiny the night that he was left alone with God. Moses was alone for 40 years in the backside of a desert when he learned how to become a godly leader. Daniel knew the feeling for, of standing for God alone when he was thrown into a den of lions for his uncompromising life of prayer. Jesus went into the wilderness alone where he would face temptation from the devil. Paul knew what it was like to go alone into Arabia where he would spend a time in social isolation. I thank God for fellowship, for friendship, for the strength of the unified, unstoppable body of Christ. But rest assured, there will be times when the congregation is condensed to a church of one, when it is just you and God. And I felt so compelled this week to talk to you about your walk with God, to make sure that you are not camouflaged in the corporate body of Christ and the worship of the crowd, but you and God alone are in a place where you are right with him and you are walking with him. There was a man who through no fault of his own was forced to become a church of one. His name was John, a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can read his own words of his own story in Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. I, John, who am also your brother and companion 
in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is John Zebedee, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. John has been exiled on the island of Patmos for the word of God. Patmos was a small island in the Aegean seas about seven miles long and six miles wide. Patmos was about 37 miles from Miletus. The Romans used places like Patmos for political exiles and criminals. Eusebius, an early church father, wrote that John was sent there by the emperor Domitian in AD 95, and he was released after about 18 months of exile there. Patmos was reserved for men that the Roman government chose to place in a location of isolation and hardship. It was lonely on the island of Patmos. Patmos was literally a prison. And being in a church of one seemed like a strange consequence for a faithful follower like John. John was the most faithful follower of Jesus. He was described in the Bible as the one that Jesus loved, showing his close personal friendship with Jesus. John was in the inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, taken to the mountain of transfiguration. John was seated next to Jesus at the Last Supper. John was the only apostle to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. John was trusted with the care of the mother of Jesus that he gave him on the cross. John was the first apostle to the tomb. John is called the faithful witness. And now this man, through no fault of his own, was on the island of Patmos. It was much like being quarantined in isolation, separated from the body of Christ. John's entire world was reduced to a church of one. There was no congregation. There was no fellowship. There were no colleagues in ministry. There was no worship team or choir. For 18 long and lonely months, John was cut off from the body of Christ. But through that season, John continued to connect to Jesus Christ, the head of the body. I've thought about how John knew what day it was. I'm not sure how John marked time on Patmos. Maybe the guards would announce it's Monday or Tuesday or whatever day when they brought meager morsels of food to the prisoners that were there. Maybe John found a piece of rock that had a chalky texture and he would mark the days off on one of the many boulders that were on Patmos. But somehow, regardless of how he knew, John kept track of the days during his 18-month exile in isolation. One morning, 
John, the beloved, woke up and he knew it was Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day that Christians had been meeting on in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on the Lord's Day, instead of a pity party on Patmos, John decided to have church with one. I'm sure that having church with one in attendance was not a rare event on Patmos. John was a spiritual man who faithfully walked with Jesus Christ. But now here's John in a church with one. I don't know how it really happened, but I just kind of visualize church getting off to a rocky start that day. You think about having church with no clips, no loops, no soundtracks, no sound system, no Hammond B3 organ. How can you possibly have church without a Hammond B3 organ? No kicking sound system, no excellent praise team. That morning, John got up early and he worked in the parking lot. He drove the golf carts. He was a greeter, the usher, the one-man band, the sound man, the preacher, and the cleaning crew when church was over. After all, it was a church of one. I can see John clearing his throat as he starts the worship service. Maybe he has to do a couple of different takes to get it right because it's a church of one. I can see John throwing his head back and trying to sing. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve only knows triumph. My God will never fail. I'm going to see a victory in John tries to belt out that song on Patmos and it's just John and Jesus there worshiping the Lord and maybe John decided to go back to the song that church opened with when he begins to sing, open up the heavens, we want to see you. Open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart, filling every part of our praise. Show us your glory and, and John is singing away, show us your power Show us your glory, Lord. And somewhere in John's praise, John testifies in John chapter 1, verse 10, that I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Just stop right there. Here is John all by himself, a church of one. He doesn't have his family gathered around. He doesn't have another brother or sister in sight. But John gets in the spirit on the Lord's day. And when he gets in the spirit on the Lord's day, he hears behind him a great voice that is like the sound of a trumpet in a place where there was no sound system or music. Heaven begins to speak on the Isle of Patmos to John the Beloved in a church of one. He's having a glorious day. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then while John is in the spirit on the Lord's day and everything is transformed, there is the voice of almighty God, Revelation 1.11. The voice says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And the Lord says to John, what thou seest right in a book. 
I'm amazed by this. But for hours or days, John watched the events of the end time unfold in the vision of the revelation of Jesus Christ as God Almighty began to live stream the book of Revelation and John wrote it down as he saw it in real time in living color. From a church service of one in a place of social distancing and isolation, John saw it all. John saw the heavens open. John saw the elders gathered around the throne of God. John watched as a gathering of saints that no man could number from every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue began praising Jesus Christ in heaven and it would continue forever. John in Revelation, in the spirit on the Lord's day, John in a church of one saw the horses of judgment. He watched as the seals were opened, as the vials let loose the plagues and the wrath of God. John watched as the battle of Armageddon unfolded. John saw the dragon's defeat. John saw spiritual Babylon destroyed. John saw the harlots demised. He saw as the beast, the false prophet, the antichrist were cast into a lake of fire. John saw as Jesus Christ, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords came riding in on a white horse of victory. John, in the book of Revelation on Patmos, in a church of one, he watched as the holy city, New Jerusalem, began to come down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. John said these words in Revelation 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He heard the voice of the Lord saying to him that overcometh, I will be his God. He shall be my people. He will inherit all things. He saw that holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of God, having the glory of God. He saw the high walls. John saw the open gates. John, in a church service of one, in the spirit on the Lord's day, saw a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God. John heard the message of hope. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according to his work. That's why you need to make sure when it's down to just you that you are a church of one. 
John heard the Lord say, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they individually may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. John heard Jesus say, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And he that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. John heard the Lord say, surely I come quickly. And John, the revelator, his response echoed across the empty, lonely island of Patmos when John said back to the Lord, even so come Lord Jesus. I believe that it was on that day when John got in the spirit on the Lord's day in a church of one that all the pain and the persecution that John had experienced was paying off that it didn't matter what trials he would endure. I don't know how deep into his period of 18 months of isolation this holy moment occurred, but John saw it all on the Lord's day in a church of one. Today, while you're watching this service online, I want you to focus on being a church of one. You might be in your home surrounded by family or friends, or you might literally be at home alone like many of our people are. I would like for you to make up your mind that never again you will take the church for granted. Never again will you ever miss a service if you can possibly get there. Today, I pray that you would let the Lord heal your spirit, soul, and body. If you need forgiveness, ask Him now. If you need to release another brother or sister from injury they've done to you, would you forgive them now? I want to encourage you to make up your mind that you are going to do everything in your power to be a healthy, functioning member of the body of Christ. That you'll never again try to be camouflaged in corporate worship, determined to find your place and fulfill your function in the body of Christ. From now on, when we gather together in worship, I want you to believe that you're a church of one and that your voice of praise and prayer and singing matters to God, that you'll never again stand there or sit there watching as if you were a spectator. My message to you today is for you to take responsibility for your life and your voice, for your prayer, for your ministry to count. Right now at your home, you may feel a little conspicuous or wherever you're watching. John may have felt the same way. Right now, would you open your heart? Would you lift your voice? Would you raise your hands? Would you get in the spirit on the Lord's day? 
Invite the Lord to show you his glory as he did for John on the day of the Lord when he became a church of one. Let's worship the Lord together right now.